The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has been noticing that things have been falling out of the sky lately. By things, I mean airplanes. Um, So today we're going to be talking about how to survive the plane crash epidemic. And my guest will, first of all, tell us whether he thinks it's an epidemic or not. But certainly, certainly um, there seems to be a spate. In fact, actually, um, 2014 so far has been um, a key year or the worst year. Well, I'll let him, my, my guest, talk about this more. But... But today we're going to be the show on the show. We're going to be talking about um, not only unraveling the mysteries of the latest plane crashes, which he will do, but also to give you some tips on how how you should decide whether to fly or not, and how you can survive um, if you are on the, a plane. Believe it or not, there are actually tips, things that you can do once you're on a plane, to make it more likely that you would survive a crash. <laughs> These are useful things to know. So we'll be talking all about this with my guest, David Susi, who is back on the show. Um, when, we're, when you're done listening today, you can actually go through archives and find a previous show where he was the guest in, two, in 2012. Um, he is CNN's safety analyst. I mean, after being on my show, say, CNN decided <laughs> that they should have him too. He's also the author of Why Planes Crash and Accident Investigators Fight for Safe Skies. So, David, welcome back to the show. Hello, Carol. It's a pleasure to be back again. I can't believe it's been so I long. know, I know. They, they did tell you that, CNN, right, that it was your audition that you did, did on my they show. They said, you know, we heard you on Carol's Couch, and... We thought, boy, that guy would be just great, especially because of those great questions that Carol asked me. <laughs> <laughs> that must be it. Well, I'm glad I could help. <laughs> so before we start talking, I mean, boy, there have been. Um, it, it is the biggest year since when? Mm. It's a lot of tragedies since 1982, really, uh, since we've had this many in a row in this manner. So um, before we get into all of them, because so many, I mean, the, the interesting and, and tragic part um, is that so many of them are still mysteries. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of unnerving. But before we get into that, um, maybe you can remind people about how you, this became your field to begin with, a little bit about mm-hmm. your background. Yes, yeah, I... Um... Well, I've always wanted to fly as a kid. I wanted to fly. I always wanted to do that. But um, 
uh, we were didn't have the money to go to flight school, so my uncle, who had a little bit of money, said, I'll tell you what, if you go to mechanic school then and pass and, and have perfect attendance, you can go to pilot school. So I went to mechanic school, and I found out I just liked taking things apart and figuring out how they worked and putting them together so much more than I liked flying. So I ended up being a mechanic and just uh, followed that through my career all the way towards being a, a, a senior executive for a helicopter company. And um, I think the the real key for passion for safety came for me when I had made a, a really tragic decision, a choice that I, uh, I I couldn't figure out how to weigh of investment in safety. And uh, so I didn't buy the safety equipment that I really probably, probably should have in retrospect. And, uh, and we ended up losing a pilot because of it uh, out of our fleet. Um, so it was very traumatic for me, and it really changed my life. You have those things in your life that just change direction entirely. Yeah. And, um, and feeling responsible for someone's death is certainly one of those that does that. So since then, I joined, at about that time, I joined forces with the Federal Aviation Administration as a safety inspector and did that for about 17 or 18 years. So his death wasn't in vain. Absolutely. It was Mike Myers, and his death is certainly not in vain. Um, yes, keeping other, a lot of other people safe since then. Well, let's let's talk about um, I don't know which which one pick one, whichever one you'd like to talk about first. <laughs> well, I guess the the most recent would be the um, the uh, fifty seventeen, the Air Algerie flight that crashed, and uh, that was down in Africa, and it doesn't appear that that had anything to do with anything other than a severe weather pattern that they had flown into and uh, should not have flown into. They were warned of it, and uh, yet they still flew into it. And, and um, so it's a really tragic event uh, huh. from that perspective. It was really, really difficult to see. It, um, it looked a lot like the accident site looked a lot like the Flight 585 that crashed in Colorado back in, I think, 91, where the aircraft just went straight down and just left a, you know, about 40 by 20 um, spot on the ground, and that's all that was left of it. So it looks pretty traumatic. Like well, were... well, explain that, though. What, what Do you know what, what happened? Like, why, you know, what goes into those decisions to, to fly, even though people know or they've been warned about the weather? Mm-hmm. Well, it's really interesting. It's, th- it's a thing that I write about, and it's called the atrophy of vigilance in my book. And really what it is is this, and we all get into this. It's a, it's a matter of a routine or a checklist or something that we do constantly. And it really, it, there's a part of our brain that atrophies. It, it forgets the fact that there's something outside of that routine. So if you're used to doing it, you've, you drive to work the same way every day, every day, back and forth. And, and uh, let's say, for example, the speed limit sign was changed from 45 to 25. Mm. Well, your, your brain wouldn't allow you to see that. And you would probably just continue to fly at for, or drive at 45 miles an hour without even giving it a second thought. It, your mind really does have blind spots. And this atrophy of vigilance is something that really contributes to those. So I think that's what happens to pilots most every accident I've had. Um, and in my book, Why Planes Crash, that's, that's really the singular cause if you look back at all of the accidents I've investigated. At some point along the line, it may not have been the pilot. It might have been an, a manager who made a decision to reduce training expenses, or it might have been a mechanic who decided to cut a corner here or there um, and had always done it and got away with it. But the one time that he didn't do it right, it... Uh, 
you know, it caused an accident. So all of these accidents are really from this atrophy of vigilance, and that's it, it, one of the things I push for passengers now, too, which we'll talk about later in the hour, um, about their, their awareness of what's going on around them, and I think that's what happens here. Well, um, do you, I don't know if you know specifically about um, Air Algerie, but... Um, you know, it, I would think that there would be more than one person looking at the weather report and deciding, should we fly today? Well, oddly enough, there there is. But once that decision is made, um, once you're en route, and these storms in this particular band of the world, uh, this is where the little baby hurricanes are grown. You know, they come across that band and spool across Africa, and those end up being the the Hurricane Andrews and the Hurricane uh, Irene's and the big Irene, the big uh, earth, or excuse me, hurricanes that come through. And so these huge, huge thunderstorms, things that we've never even experienced here in the United States, mm. they're that big and that monstrous. They'll go up to 40 or 50,000 feet sometimes. And, um, and just, it, it's incredible what they, what they go through. So it's easy for pilots to underestimate those and they can just come barreling through at hundreds of miles an hour and, and kind of sneak up on you, but that really doesn't change the fact that they did, they could have been aware of it and that they could have seen it coming and, and routed around it. In fact, they did ask for a route change and they changed that route, but it just wasn't enough, evidently. Huh. Wow, that's interesting. And, and, and I guess once you're up there, it comes around too quickly to, to then make changes, or it did at least in this case. Yeah, yeah, I kind of can. You know, that, the uh, Swift Air, which is the airline that, that was managing that, uh, that flight, was their crew and their airplane. Um, they, they have had some history of pilot error and, and other issues that was probably a little bit higher than other airlines as well. Mm-hmm. So that obviously would play a part in the investigation as it, as it moves forward. Well, now, I was reading about, and this kind of brings up an interesting um, part of this topic, that... I was reading about how in under relatively underdeveloped portions of the world where there seems to be an increase um, in some of the population wanting to fly mm-hmm. and an increase, uh, like a quick increase, mm-hmm. um, of planes. Yeah. Um, and they mentioned Africa, for example, that... Mm-hmm that it isn't as safe to fly when airlines are sort of scurrying to put more planes in the air for the, right. more, for the increase in population that can't afford to and wants to fly. Well, yeah, and there's two things that play into that. You know, rapid growth is a problem for any air carrier, whether it's the United States or anywhere else. But rapid growth in these underdeveloped countries can be a challenge because of their, their funding and their ability to, to do the oversight that's necessary to make sure that it's being done right. The United States goes out, and as a safety inspector, I would go out and look at other countries and assess their regulations against ours to make sure that they are as safe or they meet the minimum standards that we have here in the United States. And once those standards are met, they go down as being a Category 1 airplane or a Category 1 country capable of sustaining that, that standard. Where it falls down is the FAA obviously can't do all their inspections for them. There. Uh-huh. So as these airlines get more and more aircraft on their fleet, uh, they require more and more surveillance, and there's no way for the United States to go out and recategorize these aircraft or these countries, you know, day in and day out. It has to be something that's done only every two or three years. 
Uh-huh. So during that transition time is when it's difficult to um, to do that. And we'll talk about how to find out whether your air mm-hmm. carrier you might be flying on is a Category 1 or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. What about um, the one in the Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Now, that one is extremely interesting, and it's just sent in a wave of of, of frustration and, and and a wave of revolt, really, among the airlines across the entire airline industry, because it's it's brought forward this key problem, which is that the International Civil Aviation Organization, which is part of the UN, what their responsibility is is to build standards and practices that you use to to assure the safe safe air carriers. So. These standards and practices, once they're done and approved by all of the member countries, which is nearly all member country, all countries, they they stick to those standards. Now, the problem is that there's no governing body at the international level to oversee anything else. So, so for example, this oh, information wait, wait, wait. about I need to have you hold that example. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> because sure. um, because we actually it's time to take a break. Just got the signal. So okay. we will leave people on uh, in flight, shall we say? All right, great. <laughs> Until we come back, we're talking today about uh, how to survive the plane crash epidemic. My guest is David Susi. His book is called "Why Planes Crash: An Accident Investigator's Fight for Safe Skies." So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about the epidemic of plane crashes and how to survive them. My guest is David Susi. He is CNN's safety analyst. He's the author of Why Planes Crash, an Accident Investigator's Fight for Safe Skies. Before the break, um, we were talking about another mysterious plane crash, the one in the Ukraine, which, of course, and you were about to give an example of, Mm -hmm. um, so go ahead. 
Yeah, what I was going to say is that the International Civil Aviation Organization, actually right now as we speak, is having a meeting to try to decide who is really responsible for notifying the airlines when there's a rocket on the ground that could take them down. You know, that's something that uh, everyone assumes, oh, yeah, everybody knows that. But how do they know it? We don't really know much about that. So the International Civil Aviation Organization has a thing called a notice to airmen. And what that is is that each country, if they say that there's a risk in their country, they're supposed to notify this notice to airmen and use that to communicate the fact that, hey, it's dangerous here in this country. Don't fly over our country because there's bad stuff happening. Well, with Ukraine, that did happen. They had it limited to 11,000 feet. Then they uh, had an aircraft shot down this week at 21,000 feet. So they decided that they would raise that limit to 32,000 feet. So if you're flying over Ukraine in that eastern region, you can't be less than 32,000 feet, or there might be additional risks. So so um, Malaysia Air called and said, well, we want to fly at 35,000. And and the air traffic control in that region said, no, we need you down at 33,000 because there's some other traffic up there. So they did. They flew at 33,000 feet, and, of course, that's when they were, uh, were shot down with that missile that, that could have reached far beyond 33,000 feet, in fact, up to 70,000 feet, hmm. which is way above where even aircraft can fly. So, so it wouldn't have helped much, but nonetheless... Um, after that, they completely restricted the airspace all the way up to 60,000 feet, so you can't even fly anywhere over that area right now, which is what should have been done beforehand. But now, that kind of begs the question, I mean, the kinds of people who would be shooting down airplanes mm-hmm. are not that, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like they would be the kind of people who would say, oh, we better call up the uh, aviation board and let them know that we might shoot down one of the planes. Yeah. And, that kind and of defeats the purpose. Yeah, they're not really going to do that, and that's, therein lies the problem. And that's why uh, Tim Clark, who's the president of uh, United Arab Emirates, airline, Emirates Air, uh, has called this meeting with the ICAO, an emergency meeting, to have all the ICAO members meet and discuss this issue because it's something that, and it goes far beyond the actual mechanics of who tells who what. It goes into the, uh, the insurance coverages. Um, for example, if, you know, was Malaysia Air safe? Did they make a safe decision? And they can say, well, heck, we were told by the ICAO, by the NOTAM, that it's safe above, above 32,000 feet, and we were above 32,000 feet. So are they really responsible, or is it, is it the United Nations who's responsible, or is it Ukraine for not, not telling people that this risk existed? You know? But as you pointed out, the Ukraine government it wasn't in any kind of condition to make sure they did everything, right. or were they? <laughs> you know? right. So it's, it's hard to point fingers, but what they're calling for is an international communication network or some kind of share information sharing between all of the countries where if risks are identified, even by other countries, let's say the United States noticed that these weapons had been brought into Ukraine, that they would be able to notify this governing body or, or informational body that would say, hey, there's some risks over here that we don't want our U.S. air carriers flying over there, so let's take that on. Take that on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the airlines are saying that we don't have especially some of the smaller airlines don't have the resources to be connected to the military in such a way that they wouldn't have that kind of information. Well, you know, there's also an issue with the um, the crash site in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sort of 
up to date today as far as where that stands, but I know that it's been very difficult. And there have been all kinds of r- rumors, all kinds of sort of, um, I don't know, gory reports about what's going on there. What What do you know as to well, what? Well, yeah, I've been in contact with the investigators. Some colleagues of mine are there trying to get in to investigate the site. And um, the OSCE, which is the uh, Society for the Corpor- Cooperation in Europe or something like that, but this is Michael Bersk. Berchescu, and what he is telling me is that the, they had an agreement, the Malaysian government had worked out an agreement with the leader of the, of the uh, rebels there, and they were going to let them come in, and this was three days ago. So as they were heading in, um, they stopped the press from going in, which was appropriate, because as an investigator myself, I would never let the press go on site, especially when the site hasn't been secured yet. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was appropriate, and I was pretty encouraged about that, as was he. And they started down the road, and about halfway down the road to where they were going, they started hearing the shelling and the bombing and, and, and thought, well, I thought we were supposed to have safe passage. So then we found out later that it was actually the Ukrainians that were bombing and shelling in the area. So I believe that what's happening now is that both the Ukrainians and the rebels want that web that, that crash site to be to be secured and investigated. I believe they do. You know, people say the, the rebels don't because they're the ones that shot it down. Right. But, but in actuality, they, there are a couple of factions of rebels there. And they, one's pointing the finger at the other saying, we didn't do this, they did. Huh. Isn't that interesting? So, so they're the ones that are saying, we, we do want this investigated. Huh. We want to clear our name and, say that, and clear, show clearly that they feel that it was a mistake. They, they didn't... Uh, mean to shoot down an airliner, a commercial airliner. They were shooting at what they thought was war planes, but not that that's excusable. It still is a war crime if they didn't take care to to protect, you know, commercial airplanes. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they still would be accountable for it just the same. But uh, nonetheless, I think they're both, Ukraine and the, the separatists are doing what they can to separate uh, the area and, and make it a neutral zone so that the investigation can go on. But for three days in a row now, my colleagues have been turned away and, and not able to approach the site. Hmm. Well, and also, have you heard of, um, you know, of sort of horrid things going on at the site? Well, it's difficult. I, I'm, I've got some satellite images that, are, that I've got from the Airbus Defense and from all source uh, analysis and what these what these images show me clearly is that there are areas of the site that have not been investigated yet. There's uh, a uh, there's an entire probably square mile or two where there's no sign of any anybody foot traffic or anyone having gone out there, and yet there's there's many signs of debris and um, you know even deceased out in these fields that have not been attended to yet. And that and that's the biggest tragedy is right now is that. They haven't been uh, given the honor and respect and, right. and dignity that that they really need to be given. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, Matt. You know, it's bad enough to lose someone in a plane crash, but to know mm-hmm. that their body is, you know, is not yeah. being respected in various ways, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it yeah. just is just makes it even worse. Yeah, it's just tragic. It really is, and it's. Uh, it's just tough to deal with, and, and talking with the families and, and the Dutch. I've been speaking with the Dutch, um, uh, with the Dutch uh, investigator who's leading the investigation. He says it's just incredibly difficult with what else going on. If you watch the television, you'd see that there's just 
car after car after car of, of hearses mm. you know, taking those uh, victims to their to where they're going to be processed and, and identified. Mm. Well, this has not been a good year for Malaysia, Air. <laughs> no, it certainly is not. Certainly is pre- not. Their previous plane. Um, let's talk about that. Which mm-hmm. I, you know, um, which and it's interesting how. Both, uh, well, I mean, actually, I shouldn't. I, I should ask you first what you think happened to the first plane, the mm-hmm. first Malaysia airplane, before telling you what my theory. So go ahead. Right, right. Well, you know, I do. I've been doing accident investigation for 25 years or, or better, and um, so when I look at this Malaysia Air, it's hard to weed through all of the rhetoric because there's quite a bit, and everyone has an opinion about this, an opinion about that. But I use an algorithm in which I put the facts against the you know uh, presumptions, and uh, and then physically and actually weight them uh, in a way that uh, that uh, allows you to identify which is the most probable assumption on the on the side of the chart. Mm-hmm. And so what that's come up with for me, what that's yielded is that there is uh, for me is that there is not a. Um, uh, uh, ill intent at this point. What it looks like to me is that there was some kind of mechanical uh, disruption or failure explosion in the E&E compartment, the electronics compartment, which is right underneath the, the uh, pilot's seat. And that the reason that that's conclusive for me is that all of the radios that that we lost, the ACARS system, the transponder system, and the communication systems, the VHF and UHF radios, all of those are co-located right above this oxygen bottle that is, is in that E&E compartment. So, uh, you know, looking for a centralized cause that would take all of those things out together, um, that's the only location I can well, do but, that. Well, but what if you had a suicidal pilot or even a... Uh, suicidal terrorist pilot yeah. um, well, that, who pulled all those or out, things out or, you know, whatever the proper terminology is, got mm-hmm. destroyed those things in that place. Yeah, well, those things are all turned off from different locations in the airplane. And so what uh, would be difficult to do in the amount of time, there was about um, three to four minutes between, uh, within three to four minutes, all of them were turned off. Let's put it that way. And the way that you'd have to turn them off would be that you'd have to leave the cockpit, go down into the electronics and equipment bay, which would take about 10 minutes almost to get the screwdriver out, to pull it out. It's a special tool you have to have. And then break the seal around that door, climb down inside of it, and then turn that box off from underneath because it's not capable. You can put it into standby from from the pilot's position, but you can't turn it off. And it was indeed off. So, so that's why I've ruled that out as a possibility. The other thing, too, that uh, rules that out for me is that you would have to have two suicidal pilots, mm-hmm. um, which is highly uh, improbable, but that uh, the time at which these suicidal pilots in the past have made their move is when the co-pilot steps out of the cockpit. Well, the last time, that the, the worst time in most um, improbable time for that co-pilot to step out of the cockpit or the pilot would be at this phase where they were changing from one region to the other because at that point you have one person handling all the radios and the other person is flying the aircraft. So during that time period is, is exactly the wrong time that you would have had two pilots um, or one pilot in the cockpit where they lock the other one out. In addition to that, there's two voices on the cockpit or on the recording 
there's one voice that does the call before, and then a different voice does the um, all right, good night, MH370. So that tells me that there were two two pilots in the cockpit at the time that the aircraft lost all communications. Well, but what about? I mean, I must say, I I guess I'm more cynical. But um, what about the fact that the pilot? You know, I wouldn't. I would think that it would be in that particular part of the world. Uh, And here's the signal that we have to stop. Mm, But um, that it would be plausible um, or not not that unlikely to have two pilots who would be suicidal at the same time. But we can talk about it more when we come back. Okay. We we need to take a break. We're talking today about airplane crashes, the epidemic. My guest is David Susi. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll be right back, so stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with my guest today, David Susi, uh, the author of Why Planes Crash, An Accident Investigator's Fight for Safe Skies, on look on the topic of how to survive the plane crash epidemic, we t- we'll be talking about how to survive um, in a few minutes. We're kind of <laughs> we're kind of uh, hooked on all these mysteries. I, I won't press the point, but um, you know, I mean, I'm not a mechanic, but I am an expert in terrorism. And there were certain signs, like we were talking off the air, <laughs> of things like. Um, about that pilot that to me, even as just as a psychiatrist, that were rather suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's amazing that, uh, that we haven't been able to find that plate. And then I was looking at this study that says at least 88 planes have disappeared since 1948 where not a single piece of wreckage, oil slick, or body has been found. I never realized there were that many. <laughs> Tell us how that could mm-hmm. happen. Well, actually, that that figure is true. However, 
if you look at modern aircraft uh, within that have been built within the last 20 years, there's, there's far, far, far fewer than that. In fact, there's you could count on one hand as many as have been lost since that time period. Uh-huh. So, so a lot of that had to do with navigation capabilities and tracking capabilities and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have an international air traffic traffic system like we do today. So a lot of that is from that. But um, not to say that there aren't airplanes that do disappear because there are. But when it comes to commercial aircraft, that's what makes this such a mystery is that, you know, with all the advancements we have, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I can find my iPad no <laughs> yes. matter where I am. <laughs> you know? yes, Why can yes. we not find this, you know, $200 this million huge dollar plane. airplane? Right, exactly. Um, and then, of course, there are, uh, you know, the, there's the issue of um, uh, people being, having more, People with mental illness, shall we say, um, or having psychotic breaks or having other psychiatric problems on the plane. There was one recently of the, I'm sure you probably reported on it, of the mm-hmm. man from Canada. Um, yeah. who, or he, well, he, he was saying that he had a bomb on the plane and that he was going to bomb Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, it's interesting. And, and even the crew, you know, there's been uh, plenty of incidents of the crew losing control. As well, and uh, you know, I always think about that uh, with the going through the pilot training and the crew training that they do when I'm doing surveillance on that. And they're pretty much taught to think that every single person on that airplane could be a terrorist. Mm. And and you think about that, watching the plane, watching everybody come on, and what that could mm. do to your brain and your mindset. <laughs> saying, hey, there's 250 terrorists back here, and here I yeah. am alone. You know, that's got to yeah. mess with your head eventually. Yes. Yes. Yes, it certainly has made life uh, a lot harder. Um, well, why don't we start talking about what people, now that we've terrified everybody. <laughs> what do um, we do about it now? Yes, what can we do about it? Okay, well, if you, if you Google my name, David Susi, and then fly safe, there's a, a program that I, that I use personally, uh, CNN and some others that ask me, well, what do you do to feel safe? And, and it's, it's really simple. It's just the S-A-F-E. And that stands for search, and then assess, and then flight, and then evaluate. So search, assess, flight, and evaluate. And what that means is search is where you just simply do a Google search of where you're going to go. And you think about what's happening there, and you look at it, and you become educated on the flight and where it is that you're going to go, you're ta- about the country, about the culture, where, what it is you're going to do there. And um, and then additionally, the weather, what's happening with the weather. So those are things that you can do just in a quick Google search and, and see what's happening. Um, the whole point of this is to be educated, to empower yourself as a traveler so that you know what's going on and you can make an educated decision about your, your, your own risk strategy. And the next thing is assess. And there, if you go to the State Department website, the United States State Department website, there are, uh, there's a site there that talks about alerts and notices about each country. So you can go in and look at each country, the countries that, not only the countries that you're flying into, but the ones you're flying over to get there and, and see where those might be and see what's going on in those countries. And again, be familiar with that. And you'll see, see the alerts and they'll tell you why it's an alert and, and see what's going on with that. You can also assess the airline itself and uh, you can go into the Federal Aviation Administration website, and from there, and there, the link is on that uh, search if you do that search for Fly Safe, 
Um, but that from there you can tell which airlines that you're flying on are, uh, and what they're going to be, um, what their rating is. Remember I talked earlier about the rating that the FAA gives these countries, whether it's a Class 1 or a Class 2 country. And if it's Class 2, you want to stay away from it. If it's Class 1, that's a good thing. Um, and then again, under assess, you assess your weather and you look forward to see what the weather's like in that area and what you might be encountering there. Now, this isn't so that you can go up to the cockpit, knock on the door and say, hey, pilot, I think you need to go around the other way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? This is mostly so that you can make an educated decision before you get on the plane. And, and again, this is mostly for people who are concerned about flying overseas. Uh, the United States, flying within the United States is incredibly safe and Really, we haven't had any accidents here in a long, long time, and our accident rate here in the United States is better than it's been in in, in 20 years right now. Well, so except that there have been a lot of small plane crashes here. Yeah, there have been, I, and partly that is actually because there's just been a lot more news about it. the 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 small plane air accident rate has been uh, has been high for some time, and it really hasn't. I haven't seen a significant increase in the small plane crashes. Of late, um, of course, my averages go over two to three years, not just the last month or two. So, so that, um, but th- but that's that concern. And and private flying is a another set of things that I would do for a different time. But um, uh, but as far as the safe, going back to that, the flight. The next thing is flight. Evaluate your flight, and you can go on to two different sites. One is called Flight Tracker 24, and another one's called Flight Aware. And both of those flights, both of those sites. You look up your flight number, and it will tell you where that flight goes and what countries it flies over and uh, how long the flight takes and a lot of information about that particular leg of your flight. And you can get that from those, and you can actually see it on the map, and it will tell you where you're going. So once you've done all that, SAF, you've you've researched and you've assessed and you've uh, researched your flight, now you have all the information that you can possibly get so what you need to do at that point is just evaluate. You evaluate knowing what you know about the flight. You evaluate whether or not the flight is worth the risk or not. You know, is, is, it, is it worth the risk? Is there something that bothers you particularly about the flight? And if there is, maybe you can take another route, maybe a different flight. But if, if you certainly don't have to go there and you, yet you feel that you're uncomfortable about it, then don't go. It's that simple. But if you are, have a reasonable amount of comfort with it and you think that you're safe with it, you know what's going on and you know what risks you're accepting, then at that point you're an empowered flyer and you know that you are at least know what you're getting into and you don't feel so victimized by it. Yes, absolutely. Um, what about some things, you know, um, like where people should sit on a plane, where the safest place to sit is? Well, I've always said that this is an interesting point because, um, you know, in the Sioux City accident, we we had survivors that were in the tail of the airplane, and uh, you would think that that would make sense, and it does. That that you know, if the airplane's going to crash forward, that the the impact would be less in the rear because it's absorbed by the aircraft as it crashes. Um, but um, I've always said that the the seats above the wing are the safest uh, from a few seats back from the leading edge of the wing back to the back of the wing. They're not as fun to sit in because you can't see the ground. Mm. <laughs> you know? but, but, um, and in, in fact, that was borne out in the Malaysia MH17 accident in that we found some significant size debris that had still had windows that were not shattered or broken out um, in that row 23 through 24, 5, 6 
in that area there where there was no damage, little damage to the exterior structure of the airplane. Of course, it was still not survivable, but it does indicate to me that that area is is one of the safer areas to be in. Um, but uh, some some people ask me, so so which is the safest seats in first class? And um, they're really the first class seats are the least safe of all of them. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so when we're sitting back there in coach. <laughs> um, you know that you're safer than the people up front, I suppose. But, I wonder uh, if they're going to start move, changing things around in, in right. new airlines, in new planes. Well, well, it's certainly more comfortable up about in front of the wing because it, there's less movement up there. Uh-huh. So that's the reason they do that. But, but as far as safety goes, um, you know, if you're in an aircraft accident, uh, you know, the, your, your probability of increasing the chances of survival based on where you're sitting in the aircraft um, you know that's that's something you can do to make yourself feel better. I'm not sure that it really is a, a probable outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, what about things like time of day that you fly? Is it better to fly during um, you know during the middle of the day when pilots might be more awake? <laughs> uh, no, I think actually it's the opposite because we've, what we've noticed a lot lately in the news too is these near misses. There's a lot of near misses going on with aircraft that are flying next to each other, and that's a direct result of the the crowding in the skies as, as how many aircraft are up there. You don't see a lot of near, near misses at midnight flights or early morning flights because those those are not the busy times that the aircraft are up there. So so I usually do fly at night, not for safety reasons, but because it's my schedule's so tight, I only have that time to fly. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I sacrifice sleep to fly. But but I've noticed that it seems to me that there's a lot less traffic, obviously, and there is a lot less traffic. Um, and the ch- tickets are cheaper, and you're getting just as much, if not more, uh, awareness on part of the pilot because they've they're usually, usually starting a shift or they've aware of that shift. They they know what it takes to be on that shift. So they theoretically have have taken their nap beforehand. There you go. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of flying lately. Um, because I, uh, as I was mentioning before we started, I'm the psychiatric uh, consultant to a show called Paternity Court, and it's moved its production facilities from L.A. to Atlanta mm. for this season. So, um, so I've been flying every third week to Atlanta, and uh, at different times, like you know, once I took the red eye. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Not quite the same. Not quite as good as taking the red eye to New York because it's a shorter flight, so you don't really get to sleep much. Mm-hmm. Um, but but and, uh, other times I took a nine thirty in the morning plane and I got there really early, and I noticed I was like blown away by. Uh, the, I got there at around seven o'clock in the morning and I was blown away by the number of people who were in the uh, airport at mm-hmm. seven o'clock in the morning. Mm. Yeah, that is a peak period, actually. Oh. Yeah, that is a peak period. That's when everybody's trying to. They didn't want to stay the night. They stayed at home and they're flying to work the next morning. You know, so <laughs> and they're frantic to get there. Well, it it, it just spoke spoke to me of um, the the incredible increase in the number of people flying all together. It was just sort mm-hmm. of a, an immediate um, a reminder of, of wow. <laughs> you oh, know? yeah, yeah, millions of people in the air at a time. That's for sure. Well, we do need to take another break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about some more tips for surviving a plane crash. Today, we're talking about the plane crash epidemic with my guest, David Susi. He's the author of Why Planes Crash, an Accident Investigator's Fight for Safe Skies. 
So stay tuned. The uh, What you hear may just save your life. <laughs> You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, so stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about how to survive the plane crash epidemic with my guest, David Susi. And we're, we've been starting to talk about some uh, some ways to make your risk um, less less strong, or, or to to uh, minimize your risk. And um, and yes, it is still. I mean, we do need to, <laughs> we do need to still emphasize the point that um, that flying is still safer than driving, and and all kinds of things like that. It's just that when there's something that happens, when there's a rash of these plane crashes that we've been having this year, um, it just really does make people suddenly feel as though the world is coming to an end, or at least the planes are coming to an end, and that it's super dangerous. Um, but let's talk about some of the things, you know, what happens if the plane, if you are on a plane that crashes, mm-hmm. and you, you realize that you have survived, I mean, you're, you, um, it makes the, it hits the ground, and mm-hmm. you're, you look around, and you're thinking, wow, you know, I'm still alive. Um, talk about how important it is to get out of the plane really quickly. Well, uh, let's start a little bit before that because, sure. you know, a lot of people, when you hear the, the speech come on about, yes. you know, your seatbelt fastened and this and that, and, and if you're in this exit row, look behind you, it might be behind you. You know, uh, people get complacent about that, and we forget that we really are a part of the safety system when we're on that airplane, it's, and the system's only as good as its weakest link. So, you know, we get on and we jump, sit and you get in our seat and turn on our cell phone and look at our video game or make our phone calls or whatever it is while this, this uh, you know, pre-boarding yes. boarding speech is going on. And, you know, I fly an extensive amount of hours and always have, and it's really painful for me to listen to that one more time. 
but yes. I always do. I take the moment and I breathe and I listen and I literally do take the card out of the seat in front of me and look at it to find the closest exit. And, you know, believe it or not, that there's been a lot of fatalities that could have been avoided had people known where the exits were when the aircraft landed safely yeah. but had a, a fire on board. And there's a lot of smoke going on, and it's dark in there, and you can't really see where to go. And you didn't pay attention to the fact that you're supposed to get down on the floor and crawl along the floor, follow the lights to get to the exit and leave through the exit. So there's a lot of people that could have, been, that could have survived, mm. I think, two accidents of that type where we had people that didn't survive because they just didn't, weren't familiar with how to get out of the aircraft. So take the time to see what's going on around you when you're on that airplane because you are, like I said, part of that safety system. Well, you know, airlines really need to do a better job, and some of them do a better job than others, um, to do videos um, mm-hmm. uh, that, that make you want to pay attention. I was on... Mm-hmm. I forgot what airline it was, but um, they did have, you know, they, they have to make it different and new and change it up all the time so that you are intrigued enough to watch it. They, they do, and I forget, again, which airline. I believe it was maybe uh, JetBlue or pro- perhaps it was Spirit, but what they had was a, a, a mock of the movie Airplane. Uh-huh. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was actually <laughs> in, the, in the cockpit, uh, as he was in that movie Airplane, and uh, talking about safety, and it was just, it really caught my attention, and it caught everyone's attention. Everyone was talking about it, and, and I know that sometimes Southwest gets a little funny with it but, and, and gets people listening that way, but you're right. They do need to do a better job of making it something different to watch and get attention with. Because when you're on a plane, especially, you know, if usually this is a smaller plane, where some, um, usually a woman, a flight attendant, um, standing up at the front, you can hardly see her to begin with, right. and she mumbles, you know, the mic isn't that great, and mm-hmm. she's mumbling about what she's saying. I mean, you quickly, and, and you've heard it a gazillion times before, you quickly lose interest. Yeah, that's true. That's true, and it's unfortunate, but remember the burden of responsibility is on you, too, and all that information that she's rambling off is actually in that, in that little brochure in front yeah. of you as well. So, again, I, I just implore people to to take the time to look around them, you know, talk to the person next to you, too. This is another thing that people don't do anymore is, is talk to the yes. person next to them. And, and, and why that is that? Help, well, that helps calm these, uh, you know, if there's someone that's a little disturbed, if there's someone that's incredibly stressed about the flight, it helps calm their nerves, it helps calm yours. And, uh, you know, just sitting there and, and not being connected with anyone around you um, allows for that environment, and then you being a psychiatrist could sure tell us more about that, that uh, as far as how you would would create an environment that wouldn't uh, allow someone or that would help calm someone. Well, I say we, the they, should serve, um, they should serve Rocky Road Sundays on the plane. <laughs> that would calm me. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, after... <laughs> After 9-11, I, um, I don't remember if we talked about this when you were on before, but I created something called um, Shrink on Board, um, where uh, it's, a, it's a, that airplanes, airlines played, started w- starting with Delta, where um, in their in-flight entertainment, um, which really, uh, which it was to calm, it was called the art of relaxation, it, and it was to calm people with fear of flying or to just calm people who were anxious, and at the end of the show, I'll, I'll give the uh, now, 
It's also good for people on the ground who are um, as anxious with today's news as, as people in planes. So I'll give the website out at the end. Um, what about things like choosing bigger planes when flying? Well, the size of aircraft really is, is doesn't statistically doesn't mean anything. Um, but uh, but the important thing is that you fly in something that makes you comfortable. My wife has claustrophobia, and she hates getting on those small airplanes where there's only two seats on one side and two seats on the other, and she just hates it. She it drives her crazy, and um, she need, she could use a lot of Rocky Road ice cream for that. <laughs> but uh, but she uh, she just hates to fly on those. So the bigger the plane for her, the better because it makes her feel better, makes her calmer, and and less stressed. And I think that's incredibly important. Uh huh. What about picking a seat near the exit? Well, I, I, that's a plus and a minus, really, because everyone on that airplane is going to go through that window. <laughs> so you know they're coming your way. <laughs> you know? But um, but uh, And you're going to be responsible. There's responsibility with having to be able to take that door out and move it aside and uh, and help people get out in and out of that door. So there is some responsibility with doing that, and... and um, you're willing to accept that responsibility. That's fine. That's where you should be. Well, what do you think about that? I mean, sometimes you must walk down and, and look at the people who are sitting in the exit row mm. who have accepted that responsibility, and you must, you especially, you know, more knowledgeable about all of this, you must look at these people and think, really? <laughs> My <laughs> life is dependent upon this guy? You <laughs> figuring out how to open the door? Yeah, in fact, I have actually done that. There was a kid that was in the seat who obviously wasn't 18 uh, to me and uh, the flight attendant said are you willing to do this and he said yes and I looked over and he, there was that door weighed more than he did mm-hmm. and so I did approach the flight attendant and I said excuse me but you know I'm not sure that he would be capable of moving that door and she kindly st- spoke with him and asked him to change seats with another man and it wasn't a big deal you know it, it's, if it concerns you that's what I was saying about being part of that safety system and not that you have to be belligerent about anything. It's just, you know, I'm concerned about the safety of this, and either the flight attendant should should assure you that it is safe or do something about it to make it safe. Well, but did you give your credentials? I mean... No, I don't have any credentials anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I gave those up in 2007. Well, uh, so. come on. I mean, you know, I, you could say I have been working for blah, blah, blah. I, I am the CNN, blah, blah, blah. I mean, whatever. No. You have a ton of credentials. I mean, do you think that... Did you not mention anything about your experience? No, I did not. I did not. That, uh, although they... I, she did mention later that she did recognize me from CNN, so that's, You're kidding. that probably is unfair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but still, people. Sh- I mean, I guess um, even if someone without, I mean, obviously that did influence her, but um, but I think even someone, I don't, I don't think people need to feel like they have to have credentials to express their concern. That's because, a great point. Because I guess if she didn't listen, well, if she didn't listen, the plane went down. I guess she might not be around to be blamed. But, but I mean, there is, you know, there is some increased liability. Yes, there is, and and that's that's why you know that's why you bring it up to their attention, um, and uh, it's it's their job to make you feel safe as well and to be safe, you know, and put you at ease. Well, I'm just hearing, we're both hearing the music, which is kind of unfortunate, because Mm -hmm. I'd love to keep talking with you about this, and probably when there are more of these disasters, we'll have to revisit this whole thing. Well, let's Um, hope there's not, yeah. Yes, let's hope there's not. Um, I said I would give out the website for the Shrink on Board video and audio um, uh, 
programs for um, for for fear of flying and for just fear of of being in the world at the time when now that there are all these horrible things going on all over, not just plane crashes. So it would be my website, which is drcarol.com, D-R-C-A-R-O-L-E.com, and you click on Shrink on Board. All right. Well, I'd like to thank my guest again, David Susi. His book is called, and, and ho- hopefully you've gotten a, a, um, a taste of this and want to know more. The book is called Why Planes Crash and Accident Investigators Fight for Safe Skies. And tune in to CNN to watch David Susie <laughs> on television as well. So thank you, David. Thank you all for listening. Um, I wish you happy flying. Obviously, I'm, we're not recommending that you sit home and hide under your covers. Obviously. So thanks all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 